Well, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 16, 17, and 18, or you can just look along in your bulletin. And um, today is our last sermon from our summer sermon series titled Tweets from Scripture, where we look at short little statements, 140 characters or less from Scripture and and study them. Now, um, our sermon topic this week will lead us into a new sermon series that begins next week. Next week, we're going to be studying... Paul's letter to the Philippians, and that series is titled, Growing with Joy. Today we'll see something amazing. God's will for his people is that we would abound in joy. Let me ask you, are you a joyful person? Not just happy when things are going well, but joyful always, thankful in all circumstances. Perhaps you're thinking, Mark, is that even possible? (laughs) Well, let me read God's word and then let's pray. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is your will. Uh, Help us to better comprehend this, uh, how it may be brought into our lives, and how we may dwell on it richly and be transformed uh, in this hour and in the days ahead, we pray. Amen. Can any of you remember the Grammy Award-winning Song of the Year in 1988? I'll give you a little clue. It was uh, written by Bobby McFerrin. It's a little song he wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Yeah, that song. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. There's a reason why I'm in the drummer on the music team and uh, not a singer. But the last chorus, this is what he sings. (laughs) The landlord say your rent is late, he may have to litigate. (laughs) Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Well, it's kind of a fun song to sing, maybe, I don't know. Uh, But it's true, though, many people approach life like this. Don't worry, be happy. But in the long run, such an approach can only let you down. See, just telling yourself, don't worry, be happy, can only get you so far. And would you tell that to a mother who is just giving birth to a stillborn child, like like my mother did uh, years ago? Don't worry, be happy. The memory of that day haunts my mother um, to this very day. Don't worry, be happy, won't cut it. But there is another way. There's the way of the gospel. You know, later in this month, I'm going to travel to St. Louis. I'm going to officiate at a wedding. There's a girl who's in my youth group who's all grown up now. Her name's Megan. She's getting married. And uh, her parents, Bill and Barb, they're dear friends. They, they had three children, two daughters and one boy. But their boy, Robbie, developed cancer and battled that for 10 years. Until around age 16, Robbie died. 
You know, there's not a day that goes by where the Maher family doesn't remember and grieve over the loss of their son. And no doubt they will be thinking of his absence on Megan's wedding day. Bill um, is an elder at the church I used to attend and serve at in St. Louis, and we used to meet regularly for prayer. And in spite of his great grief, he exuded a joy, a prayer life, and a thankfulness that defies human logic. I cannot remember how many times as I was sharing some difficulty or struggle in my life or in my ministry where he would quote, quote Romans 8.28. You know, he would say, Mark, you know, God works out all things for good uh, for those who love God and been called according to his purposes. Now, it's one thing when someone you're not so sure who's ever endured any hardship quotes Romans 8.28. But with Bill Maher, you knew he spoke from experience. The gospel of Jesus Christ was and is alive in the life of Bill Maher. And as a result, no matter the circumstances, he's able to rejoice and give thanks and draw near to his heavenly father. Not that there aren't times when he doesn't have to fight for that joy and that thankfulness. Not that there aren't days when he has to remind himself of the gospel of what God has done for him in Christ Jesus. You know, what has come a reality in Bill's life is available to all of us who are in Christ. In our passage, Paul tells that ancient church in Thessalonica, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Stop for a minute and comprehend what Paul is saying. God's will for his people is that we would abound in joy and thankfulness, no matter what comes our way. God's will for his children is that though the world is filled with brokenness and sin and sorrow, his will is that we would be thankful rejoicers. I don't know about you, but I need this. All week long as I've been studying this brilliant passage, I've been both challenged and encouraged Challenged in that as I look at my own daily life, I see how often I live without joy. How about you? But also from this very passage, I am encouraged in seeing this amazing truth. My Father in heaven has provided everything for me to be able to rejoice and be thankful in all circumstances. Now let me ask you, Do you long to have an understanding of this world and your life that enables you not just to keep your head above water, but to be able to delight in who you are and where you are, no matter who you are or where you are? Do you desire that in your life? Paul says something amazing. He says, this is God's will for you. Now, how does he work this reality into our lives? One short phrase points us in the right direction. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. God, through the the life and the work of his son, Jesus Christ, makes all of this possible. That's what we're going to study this morning. And we're going to investigate that as we look at these three exhortations. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. First, rejoice always. Here's the big idea here. 
God in Jesus Christ has made everything possible so that we may rejoice. Therefore, let us be rejoicers. When we really soak in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we will be able to rejoice no matter what. Now, first, the grammar here is important. The verb rejoice is an imperative. Remember what imperatives are? They are commands. There's a couple other ones uh, in our passage as well. Paul is calling this church in Thessalonica to do something. Rejoice always. The problem is we can misinterpret Paul's comment. We misinterpret Paul's command here when we turn something delightful, like rejoicing, into a duty or a work. Paul here isn't saying, I know things are hard. Now just get a stiff upper lip. Suffer through it. That's what good Christians do after all. No, Paul would never exhort us to do something that the gospel didn't in some way already make available for us. Paul had concerns that this young church in Thessalonica was getting its joy strangled by suffering. It was hard enough for them to live in this broken world surrounded by sickness and disease and hunger and the threat of famine. Add to this, this young, small church was no doubt experiencing ridicule and rejection by their unbelieving neighbors. Hardship surrounded them, and their joy was being strangled. And how is it that we typically respond when hardships press their way into our lives? Do we not tend to become paralyzed? Do we not tend to feel sorry for ourselves? Do we not tend to cut ourselves off from others? Do we not tend to question God? Do we not tend to become impatient? We do, don't we? So Paul urges them and us to rejoice, but not so much what is in, rejoice in what is happening to them. Instead, rejoice in what God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ. Look at those last few words again in verse 18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul is not commending us just to act as if everything is okay. Don't worry, be happy. Paul isn't telling us to muster up a happy face, even though we have no reason for one. Paul is directing us to the source of our joy. Please understand this important point. If, if your source of joy is only things that are found on earth, your joy will ebb and flow. It will rise with the good times and it will fall with the bad. You will never be completely satisfied. You will always have in the back of your head a fear that that some happiness that you enjoy can be taken away. As Benjamin Franklin so aptly wrote, In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. In this world, nothing is certain. Which is why, ultimately, our joy must have its source beyond this world. 
If your joy hinges on things like career or wardrobe or relationships, your retirement account, anything of this sort, ultimately your joy will unhinge. Which is why Paul points us to the source of our joy. See, God Almighty isn't just the one who wills us to abound in joy. He is, in fact, the source of our joy. And we must know this. God is infinitely joyful. We must strip from our minds any notion or any thought that God is a grumpy old white-haired man. No, in God there is infinite joy. The scriptures say that at God's right hand there are pleasures evermore. Remember, God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For all eternity they have lived in perfect joyful fellowship. Remember in John's Gospel in chapter 7 when Jesus prays that prayer? We call it the high priestly prayer. And he's praying to his Father. He's so excited about returning to heaven, to, to, bring, to returning back to the glory that he had before he entered this world. And, and in verse 13, he's saying to his Father in, in heaven, he says these words. Listen, he says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, I do so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The joy of the very Son of God himself in you. And this isn't a joy that knew no suffering. Before Jesus returned to heaven, there was something that stood in his way. What was it? It was the cross. My friends, Jesus left the glory of heaven, the comfort and the joy that was there, and he entered into a broken and sinful world, not for his own sake, but for your sake. Without Jesus' death on the cross, there could be no hope of eternal joy for us. Without his atonement, we would be eternally separated from our source of joy. But check this out. Jesus entered into suffering, the worst suffering that any human being could ever imagine, and it was joy that got him through it. What are you saying, Mark? Hebrews 12, 2, we read, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was joy. Joy of pleasing his heavenly Father. Joy of making atonement for the sins of this world. Joy of of knowing that death will be defeated. Joy of making restoration of this broken world a certainty. The joy of knowing that all that is wrong with this world will be made right. It was joy that carried Jesus through shame and sorrow. Jesus rejoiced always because his source of joy resided in heaven with his Father. Christian, so too you and me. God has made it so that this world will one day pass away and in its place will resurrect a new world where the children, the redeemed children of God will dwell in Christ-like glory. A world without any brokenness, no sin, no, no failures, no letdowns, no broken promises, no betrayals, no unfulfilled longings. That is the joy set before you that allows you to endure. So set your eyes on it. Christian, what God has done for you and what God is doing for you must be our ultimate source of joy. 
Not that we cannot enjoy a sunset or a nice meal or a great job. We can and we must. But let us not be like those who have not Christ. Let us not rejoice in the temporal things that we have. But let us rejoice in what all good things on earth point towards. A heavenly Father who creates sunsets, who provides our daily bread and provides for our financial needs. Paul exhorts us to rejoice always. Next, pray without ceasing. When we really soak in what God has done for us in Christ, we will delight to commune with God every minute of the day. How long can you hold a telephone conversation? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes? You know, young lovers can talk on the phone for hours, but eventually, you know, you just got to hang up, right? You know, the, the world record for the longest telephone call by uh, two teams, that's four people, two on each end of the phone, was 54 hours and four minutes. It took place in a shopping mall in Latvia in March of 2012. The two couples talked and talked and talked about all kinds of things like aquariums and social dynamics and mind power. But eventually, well, they hung up. Now let's be honest. When we read Paul's words, pray without ceasing. I mean, we scratch our heads. I mean, what is he really calling us to do? Is Paul saying that we're to be preoccupied with prayer every minute of the day? If we were to do that, we wouldn't have time to to eat or to to bathe. (laughs) Is that what Paul is exhorting us towards? No. Paul is not saying that all activities that we do must, must be stopped for the sake of prayer, but rather he's saying that all of our activities are to be carried out in a spirit of prayer, that there wouldn't be anything we do on earth that isn't done with eyes towards heaven. This is us living with the knowledge that all that we do, we do in the sight of our Father who is in heaven, who loves us. And so we live and move and have our being, and we do so in communion with God. You and I are to rejoice always because we are communing with God always. Yes, Christians are to have a regular time of prayer each day, but just because you rise from your knees doesn't mean that the communing has ceased. Like Charles Spurgeon once said, teach us thy children to be always talking with thee so that while we walk on earth, our conversation may be in heaven. See, the reason why you and I are able to rejoice always is because we have a Father in heaven who delights in us. A divine Father who's committed to walk with us all the days of our lives, the dark days and the not-so-dark days. So Paul here is calling us to a daily, ongoing communion with our Heavenly Father. Is this something that's already in your life? Or is it something maybe needs a little working on? I know for me, 
My communing with God tends to be in times of need. But during my simple enjoyments of the blessings he gives me, I'm often silent. How about you? Are you kind of like me in that way? Maybe you're the opposite of me. Maybe you commune with God and delight with him in your daily blessings, but, but find yourself all alone when trouble strikes. Either way, Paul exhorts us to pray continually throughout the good and the bad moments of the day. It's important that we do so. See, our ability to rejoice is tied with our communing with God. One commentator writes, The way to rejoice always is to pray continually and to have a close walk with the giver of joy. Paul is encouraging this young church in Thessalonica to have an intimate relationship with God, to take hold of God in every situation of life, and to draw near to him, especially in the times of hardship or trials. Isn't it true that when we find suffering in our lives, we, we can wrongly believe that, well, God wouldn't want this for me. He certainly isn't behind this in any way. And since we're suffering, God must be gone. And so we think we're on our own. You ever feel that way? Truth is, God has purposes for our suffering and our trials. Often we don't know what they are. But we also must know that God does not leave us alone in the midst of our trials. He is ever-present for the exact purpose so that we may draw near to him and experience his fatherly care in our lives. And yes, even rejoice. You know, I don't think there's a single Christian here this morning who wouldn't admit that they know that God loves them and desires to walk closely with them. I don't think there's a single Christian here who wouldn't acknowledge that there is great joy in walking with the Lord and seeking to live for Him and enjoy Him. We all know to some degree that there is joy at God's right hand and that we experience it when we commune with Him. And yet we fall short, don't we? which is why Paul exhorts us here to do so. Often it's just the, isn't it just like the reminders from a friend or the exhortation from someone who cares about us, someone who has our best interest at heart that seems to get us back on track. It serves as a reminder and an encouragement. May Paul's words here this morning do the same for us. And we'd be reminded that the author of life himself gave his life so that we may experience life in him. May we repent of our self-sufficiency and our self-centeredness. May we repent of our prayerlessness. And then may we, with God's help, grow in this grace of daily living in communion with God. You know, Paul's exhortation is logical a life of prayer and devotion leads to thankful hearts in all circumstances paul says give thanks in all circumstances you know when we really soak in what god has done for us in christ jesus we will be able to give thanks in all circumstances i want to be crystal clear on some point before proceeding You know, there's some who think that that being a Christian or becoming a Christian means you're not allowed to enjoy any good thing in creation, right? 
Maybe you've thought that way. I used to think that way before I became a Christian, you know. Those Christians give up all opportunity for having fun and enjoying things, right? But we are to have happiness in things of this world, like hobbies and careers and hot fudge sundaes. See, it's because of what the Father has done for us in Christ Jesus that we are actually better enabled to experience happiness in the things on earth. How so? Well, when your ultimate joy is found in God who is outside of creation, then you really truly become free to enjoy the good things that are within creation. Let me put it this way. If your ultimate joy and happiness is found in success on Wall Street, you will, in the end, have a really difficult time enjoying your career. Why? Because your happiness will always be threatened. Threatened by another firm stealing your best clients. Threatened by co-workers. Threatened by economic crisis. And of course, you will always wonder if you could have done just a little bit better. And of course, you will compare yourselves to someone else whose career has far surpassed yours. But if your ultimate joy is found in the gracious work that God has done for you in Christ Jesus, then you will be free to enjoy whatever your career brings you. Your identity will not be wrapped up in your business success. You will be free to simply enjoy who you are and where you are in your career. You'll have no need to compare yourselves to others because you know that you are a unique son or daughter of God Almighty. And so when a client leaves for a competing firm, you can actually rejoice and be thankful for the time that you had with them. And when your co-workers land those huge accounts, you can actually rejoice and be thankful for them. See, the gospel allows you to rejoice and be thankful in all circumstances because our ultimate joy is found in God with whom we commune. So Paul reminds this ancient church in Thessalonica to give thanks in all circumstances. My friends, understand this. God longs for us to be thankful. Paul says that this is his will for us. It's a pretty spectacular thought. Understand, this isn't God up in heaven saying, can you just be thankful for once? Gosh, after all I've done for you. Strike that thought from your mind. No, something far different is going on in the mind of God. God longs for us to be thankful because there's something spectacular about being thankful that he wants us to enjoy. It's true, isn't it? Think about the times in your life when your heart has swelled up with thankfulness. Isn't that one of the best feelings you can ever have? Oh, to be genuinely thankful. It's better than any medicine the doctor can give you. It's more more energizing than a six-pack of Red Bull, right? All right. And for the Christian, God has given us a goodness and a grace that allows us to be thankful in all circumstances. See, as we grow as Christians, we begin to say, we begin to understand more fully who God is. And what it means to follow him as his children. We start to say no to our own kingdoms. And say yes to Christ and his kingdom. 
And we stop looking at God like he's a giant vending machine for our temporal happiness. And we start drawing near to him in daily communion. And with this perspective on life that God gives us, we truly become thankful in all circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that we go around high-fiving people when we get laid off, all right? No, just like our joy, sometimes we have to fight for our thankfulness. But it's important that we do, and it's important we remember the source of our joy and our thankfulness and draw near to God and commune with Him and hear from Him in those times. As we wrap up, I want us to reflect a bit on this passage. Take a moment to consider how this passage corrects our tendency to place our happiness in temporal things on this earth. Investigate your own life. What are some things that you've attached your happiness to? Things that if they're taken away, away from you, you would you'd be undone. 